Hello, and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking, and film theory. In each programme, we'll focus on a particular movie, and we're going to talk about it, give it a bit of a review, and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations for films to watch following this week's film. The links are going to be as close or as tenuous as we want, and half the time they're just an excuse to talk about films we like. Quite. You don't really need to know much about us. If you haven't listened to this before, then where have you been? If you have listened to it before, then you know that um, Rob makes films and talks about films, and I teach about books and write about books and bits of pop culture as well. Fair enough. And this week, Sam, in an attempt to save yourself from your lot recommendation <laughs> of, of Lone Ranger, yes. you've picked Foxcatcher. Do you have any idea who I am? Some rich guy calls you on the phone. I wanted to speak with you about what you hope to achieve. What do you hope to achieve, Mark? I want to be the best in the world. Good. There's a key for you. Also, big house is off limits. Okay. Coach DuPont has a vision. Foxcatcher, a film from 2015 by... Was it 2015? No, it was earlier than that. 14, I think. 14. I should know these things. This is my film, I should know. You you should. It it is 14, it's fine. It's 14, fine. Right. Benny Miller directed Foxcatcher 2014, um, and it's about the real-life story of two wrestling brothers, Mark and Dave Schultz who both win Olympic gold, though at different weights, in 1984, and then are approached by the rich eccentric John Dupont, who wants to sponsor them both to success in 1988. Now, that is as much as I'm going to say about it, because I would say at this point, if you think this is the sort of film that you want to see, then... Stop listening now and go away and see it because it's very difficult to talk about it without spoiling anything for anyone. Um, I know it's possible to find out what the story is about by googling it, um, but if you haven't, then and you want to preserve that for yourself, then uh, go away now and watch the film. It's really interesting, real life story. These things actually happened, although not in the way. It's portrayed in the film. Although I have just just been reading an article which talks about how Bennett Miller used um, fiction to get at truth. It was an interesting way of putting it. So made stuff up about the lives of the Schultz and Dupont to to get at underlying truths about their relationships. Rob, your thoughts? I didn't like it. Okay. Um... I'd qualify that a little bit more than that, obviously, as a bit of a headline view. I think that the film was very interesting at times, but had large sections where I was bored out of my mind. Right. These were predominantly the sections that focused more on Steve Carell's character than Tan Tatum or Mark Ruffalo's. I thought uh, the two brothers, the Shots brothers, were brilliant. I really liked both their portrayals. I thought Channing Tatum particularly did great work in kind of stepping away from his normal sort of role and I think that Mark Ruffalo did some amazing work in sort of the physicalization of, of an old wrestler mm. 
Yeah, it, it was Mark Ruffalo, but it clearly wasn't Mark Ruffalo in the same way we see him in other kind of films. Mm. It comes back down to the fact to me that I just don't like Steve Frill as an actor. I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's very funny. I've never really enjoyed him in anything he's made, really. Um, and I just thought whenever the whenever he was on on screen, the film just dipped. Right. I thought the film looked lovely in places, in a kind of seat, a sort of watered down style. I think it na- nailed the era. Um, but in the bottom line was I was bored for large parts of it. Okay. Right. Sam. Yes. Um, not to disagree with you completely, but no, I, I'm not going to... But are you wrong, Rob? <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, entirely, I, I just think that... Um, well, actually, I I have gone through periods of not liking Steve Carell myself, and I still don't think he's funny. I still think he's a rubbish comic actor. But I think in a film like this, I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed his portrayal of Dupont. And actually, I think that the lulls that bored you were intentional. Because I think the whole thing about this film is building up to moments of releasing tension. And I think you have something like um, Steve Carell slapping Channing Tatum um, was the most extraordinarily shocking thing to me. And I think it only was that shocking because it was so... It had been so mundane leading up to it. Um that hadn't been the rhythm of the film leading up to it, and then you have something like the the sort of the, I suppose the central point of the film, which is sort of tacked on the end like a coda, which shocks you, and it 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 shocks you so much because it comes out of this period of relative inactivity with Steve Carell. So I, I I agree with you that I do think there were lulls, but I I think what Miller is doing is is intentional. I I can totally agree with that. I think I think it certainly felt like it was ratcheting up attention. I would say that it did well. Like from the opening scene, there is a deep unease to the film, mm. and it felt that you knew something bad was going to happen, and in a, in a good way. Not in the kind of like you know it can happen, but like there's very much an air from day one of you know what this is. These relationships are a doomed relationship. Something mm. something bad is going to happen. For me, it just could have been maybe forty minutes shorter. Okay, right. Yeah. It, the, 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 it just felt that the pits where you know I get you building something, but I'm just bored now. I'm just bored of all of this, um, and I you, you kind of you, I get it. I get it. Now, John Dupont is a weird guy who had trust issues and needed to be liked. I get all of that. I didn't need to be shown it three, four times. Right, um, but I think it's one of the. I think it's one of those films where it's all about the journey, and if you like the journey, brilliant. Mm. Like if it, 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 it's, it, it is about that journey. It isn't about hitting plot points. It's about that journey through. And if you enjoy that, fine. I didn't for this film, but I totally get why some people would love this film. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I am one of those people. I love, the, I love this film. I love the narrative of it. Um, but. I can I can see what you're saying, Edgy. There there are some there are some films I think that in a discussion 
say a discussion with you, I could quite happily, if we disagreed, say you're totally wrong. How can you not see this? This is an amazing film. But like Mad Max. It will in 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 reverse. Yeah, I can. Yes, <laughs> there's, there's there's a clash there, but with this film, I am totally comfortable with the fact that you didn't like it for the reasons yes. you've laid out. It just it just makes sense. This if you like the way this film goes, then you love the film, and if you don't, then you don't. And I think I, I'd agree. I think for me, it's a taste thing. It's not. That I think like we we talking a little bit about, but like Lone Ranger. I would have had to say it was a bad film. Mm. And I don't think this is a bad film. It's not a bad film. It's a well-made, well-shot, well-acted film. It's just not my taste. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, we are here for more than just a review of the film. Yes. It is an interesting film in certain terms. It is. Some, something that I wanted to talk about... Um, Something, something that came up throughout watching this film, really, and, and particularly in the in the Steve Carell bits, was the idea of nostalgia. Um, and we talked about nostalgia a while back when we talked about Jurassic World. And this is, I think, it's it's interesting enough to <clears throat> come back to about six months later. But also, I think this is a different sort of nostalgia because we were talking about our own nostalgia there. We were talking about mm. looking back on 20 years of having seen films to the first Jurassic Park film. And this is very different. This is a nostalgia that I suppose is sort of encapsulated in, in a moment when, um, I think it's an episode where, where uh, Steve Carell finally gets a gun that he's been wanting affixed to a tank. Um, and they bring it into the office, and he says, "Yes, take it away." And it's obvious his his mind's on other things, so his mind is on the Schultz brothers. Um, but there is a flag above his head, and the flag has forty five stars on it. And looking at the exact moment in time when there were forty five and not forty six states of America, this film, like you said, this this film hits. Um, the, the period beautifully that it portrays it's it's rooted in the 80s but it also hits this time for John de Pong because the time between the 45th and 46th state was the turn of the century it was Utah in 1896 and then Oklahoma in 1907 between those two there were 45 states and it seems like John de Pong is harking back to that time all the way through, he's saying, mm. "I want to go back to when America was great. I want." And you see, uh, you see, um, is it Dave or Mark? No, it's Mark watching the the video, um, watching the video of the Dupont family, and talks about how they were a, a pillar of American society. But this all seems to be. It's kind of like as as you were saying at the beginning of the film. You know something's going to go wrong. There's sort of doomed nature to this nostalgia that... I, think, I, I, I would just add one little moment to that I, I agree entirely what you're saying I think one of the moments that highlights that to me is the scene you mentioned earlier where DuPont slaps Mark in the face mm. and that comes after a scene in which the, the wrestlers take the money off to watch MMA mm. to mix martial arts wrestling and that very much felt like the incursion of the new 
Yes. That this, this is the new world, the, the new way of, like, like that, that in time, that kind of MMA is slowly replacing that old school style of wrestling. Like modern wrestling still exists, you know, the kind of the, the showy WWE stuff, but that, that old, like, almost Greco Roman wrestling has been in turn replaced by MMA. And this felt like his the anger from John Dupont at that scene was not only about the sort of his his you know, mentee standing up to him, but also the idea that they'd stepped away from what he thought was true and right and honourable wrestling towards something newer. And I think that part of that in that character felt to me coming from a place of fear. Mm. Yes. That as as time goes on and these things change, that old money that the Dupont family are matters less and less. Yeah. The the, the, the those great American families, the Duponts, the Rockefellers, that kind of thing, they just don't matter in the modern world as much as they used to. And it feels like a lot of this was his reaction to the fact that he can no longer control like, you know, Dupont's could obviously control the world. There's a long running thing in the film about how he wants to get um, the other shots by the way, man. And he just thinks, well, I want it. And he has no, no understanding of the, you can't just get what you want. You can't buy an Oscar. You, you, you a gold medal. You can't buy these things. Mm. And he's got, he has no concept of the idea that you can't just have these things. Mm. Evidenced by the tank and the gun. And the unravelling of his world view, I think, is what leads us to the, the final scene, certainly. And that's only how the film pitches, pitches as, I, as I saw it, that they were saying this guy hangs on to these old school, even American, old world ideals, but he's coming up against the modern world where, you know, not everyone who works for you is, is, a, is a surf to order around. Yes, it's... And it's interesting actually that, that that transfers into wrestling because he thinks that he is going to pump money into into this program, into the Foxcatcher program, and there will be gold medals at the end of it. And mm. he he says at one point, what we're doing here is giving America hope. That's not what yes. they're doing. What they're doing is giving John Dupont Revelant. Relevance, relevance. They're making, yes. they're making, they're returning to a time when you could put money into something and have a, have a result at the end of it that that you'd you'd planned for. Whereas See, actually, I, I, that's not what that's not that's not how competition works. I don't even go a little bit further than that. I think that they try to harken back to a time that never really existed. Mm. There's a there's a sort of running through this film. There's this idea of friendship that comes up a few times. And John DuPont tells a story about how his his only friend growing up, he discovered, was being paid by his mum to be his friend. Um, and then several times you see it that John DuPont is very keen that Channing, Channing, Channing Tatum's character is his friend. He's very keen for them to be friends. Mm. Uh, he's very keen that Mark is his friend. But Mark isn't his friend in the long term. And you feel that he's that Dupont is constantly searching for this idealized memory of what it used to be. That he used to have friends. He like, he's searching for this this uh, this model of the world that he imagines, but he's never really existed. He's never really experienced it. Mm. But he's always in his mind. He has this world view, 
And as you say, it's like he, he could buy a gold medal. He can uh, hire friends. And it's a weird kind of, you feel like he wants people to really be his friends, but he doesn't know how to make them his friends. And as, if you think about it like that, it's just so sad that he was acting like that, but everyone around him acts like that. You have his mother wanting friends. You also have, he enters that veterans competition and his second in command pays someone to take a fall so he can win the mm. title. And it's just everyone around him is making that impossible. Yeah, I think there's, whilst I, I would in no way excuse, of, I mean, we'll get into spoilers territory now, I think, we're 20 minutes into the podcast. I want to in no way excuse the the murder that happens at the end of the film. There is a lot to be said for the fact that this man had lived an entire life with everything going exactly how he wanted it to, or within his power to kind of just have stuff that he wants, you know, cocaine. He hires basically a Olympic wrestler to sing his praises at some sort of large event, and he parades him off like a, like a toy, like a pet. Mm. And then he butts up against um, Mark Ruffalo's character, uh, David Schultz, who just doesn't seem to play by those rules. He won't just give John what he wants. He says no for a long time to come for a catcher. He works out a deal where Mark always gets paid, even though he's there, and he just doesn't. He isn't bought over by John's money or wealth or name or these things. Mm. And you know, tellingly, that the, the line that is said to uh, said by John before before the murder is, "Do you have a problem with me?" Yeah, and you get the feeling that no one's ever had a problem with him. Mm. That no one's ever gone, "No, John, no, you can't have that." Or you know, you know no one's ever sort of said up to him and said, "No, like he's lived in a world entire life where his money and his name could get him everything, and here it couldn't." It's that reminded me actually of of another film you didn't like, but um, the <laughs> there are many yeah, the Ben Kingsley character in Sexy Beast, where he will not take no for an answer. Yes, and he doesn't understand how anyone could say no to him, and it's kind of mm. different. It's it's different violence as against money, but it's still about power. It's still about. It, not being able to comprehend how anyone could ever stand up to you. Mm. I think uh, you, you bring in the, the mother figure in in the film for John is an interesting one because he's the duality of this that he doesn't understand not getting his own way, but he's so controlled by his desire for approval from his mother. Mm. You know, there's the, the a scene in which he has this, he has his champion, his first place um, trophy, and he wants to put it in, I think it's the Roosevelt box, or, so, or he wants to put it in one cup in it in the trophy room. And his mum says, you can put it in there, but not in that box. Mm. And, I mean, she's not, doesn't seem to be a very nice mum. But he seems so determined for her affection, and there's a scene when he's he's demonstrating wrestling moves to his to the team, but ostensibly really for his mum. It's so he he identified for his mother the uh, the rules he's, he's making, and she leaves because mm. he doesn't do it very well, and you just see him physically just deflate, and there's a that kind of it's strange he, he's seeking so much for approval, but at the same time not understanding that his, it's his very actions that mean he doesn't get it. Mm. Yeah. You know, he, he, he he certainly seems to externalise all of that, and it's their problem. His mum's evil, you know. His John uh, Mark's useless. Steve's useless. He, he externalises a lot of that 
when he can't really see that it's really his actions that's driving everyone away. Hmm. That that scene is is really interesting. The 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 way that when she is watching him, he makes he, he very very consciously, very obviously clears a space for her. So he choreographs the wrestlers. Pe- mm. People often t- I'm, and I wanted to talk briefly about it later about um, choreographing wrestling and it being as much dancing as sport. But he very definitely choreographs his wrestlers and says, "You need to sit there." So there is a sightline for my mother, um, mm. and th- that seems to be a concern of this film because there are several. There's one particular documentary within this film with an interviewer talking to Dave on camera, but how how people are are, are viewed seems to be important. And there's after um, Mark and John have had a falling out. There's John comes over and there's a camera there with him as well. So the gaze seems to be important throughout this. I think I think you make a good point there. I think that there's the choreographed nature of a lot of it is very interesting. And there's a big scene, um, an important scene in which the two brothers negotiate a payment. But one of the things that that John wants in repayment is that he will be in the corner at the Olympics. Mm. And you know, John often talks about being a coach and what a coach does, but it's very clear that throughout most of the film, that really David Schultz, the coach, he's the one doing a lot of the work of a coach. It's all choreographed. It's all about shirts. It's all about kind of the face of it all. You know, but the, the, the tank is a great example. The tank and the gun. He's never going to really drive or fire that tank. No. But it's important to him that it looks right. There should be. He knows there should be a gun there. There should be a gun there. He gets the gun. He doesn't. He literally looks at it and then take it away. So much of this is about the elaborate facade, the, the dance of of his life and his role and his personal image. Hmm. That when when he appears, you mentioned how he 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 wants to sit in the corner. Um, and I, I was left thinking, would would Mark have won gold at Seoul if John hadn't been in his corner? Like how upsetting was it, was it to Mark Shorts to have Dupont around him? Mm. Um, but that final wrestling scene, it was interesting. I was thinking watching it that, and I don't have enough of a vocabulary about film to say how, but it was shot in a different way from the other wrestling scenes. So it looked different. And that I think that that's what made me think, well, perhaps Mark's given up because John's there. Because it felt different from me watching it. So it was like Mark's experience of a wrestling match changed when John entered the ring. Yeah, I think that that's... I think, from my point, I think there are two things that work in that scene. One of which, as you say, it was shot differently. They used different lenses. It was shot. You much more. It's kind of much closer up. So you didn't see the moves as much. You didn't see that the handhold. You just saw the faces as one person fell over, or you know, you saw like you didn't see both wrestlers. It was shot in much closer, tighter, tighter shots, mm. which meant like you weren't seeing the fight. You're just seeing the reactions. The other one, sort of going on, that you see a lot of the shots were of of um, David and John stood there watching the fight but the fight's in front of you see, you see the wrestlers go crossing the foreground but all obviously out of focus 
and it means it, it's it's a sort of film technique that you know it's about what's going on in the foreground. Mm. Like you, there, there are no words; you just see their reactions. But the sort of the the semiotics of the scene mean that you get the two. You can see the movement back and forth, and because they're obviously in clearly different colours, the two wrestlers. And whilst it's out of focus, you still see what's going on. Yeah. But I wonder how much you seem to talk a bit more about um, the sort of the facade of it all. How much of the losing of, of, of Mark losing really pushed John over the edge because he'd fought so hard to be in that corner, mm. and then when he lost, you've got to wonder how much like it, it, it's almost like a, a double failure. Like if he if he hadn't fought so hard to be in that corner, it would just be a loss. But because he fought so hard to be there, suddenly his face was there next to the loser. Yes. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. It, it wasn't. Like, he almost doubled down and lost both times. Yes, and and if you think about it, well, in if you yeah, if you take look at the wider picture, then Mark Schultz is still an Olympic champion, but John Lebon is always someone who was in a wrestler's corner and lost. Like mm. e- even before he goes probably over the edge and, and shoots a man. His, he had completely lost. And Mark always had something to fall back on. He could always say, I am Olympic champion. I won a gold medal. Mm. I did this. So it's like you said, like, like it was it was so important for Dupont to, to have this facade, to be able to save face. And once he was there, he, the only way he could go was down. I think there's, and linking back to that, there's, there's another scene in which the first round when they win the first sort of uh, preliminaries, John makes them put all their medals in his cupboard. Mm. Yeah. And you feel very much like he, he's living vicariously through him, which is why the loss then by Mark at the end hits him even harder than it should have. Yes. Yeah. You had, um, there's an interesting scene actually. Um, that one where he puts the me- the medals in in his cupboard and he he's living through them. That he he fakes a fall and then wrestles some of his wrestlers, and you know very quickly that they're just letting him win because you mm. would in that situation. But it's interesting how he's not just living vicariously through them in terms of having put money into their training and being by the side of the ring, he is actually living vicariously through them physically. It's kind of like the film is making him, I don't know, in some tactile way, try and be, actually be a part of them. Because he mm. like, wants to be with them and wants to hug them and, and wrestle with them. So that's, maybe that, that's... That goes into this thing at the end, right? why it was such a defeat for him, because he actually was a part of it. He was wrestling himself. Well, I think it goes both, just talking about the filming side of things, the fashion of it all, that he, at the start, wears a lot more Foxcatcher branded goods, shall I say. You know, there's certainly a uniform that as a team they wear at the start of the film. Mm. And it's interesting how they, the, 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 the um, costuming department mimic that change to the film. As the film goes on, he wears less and less and less, as does um, Mark Schultz, as does David Schultz. The, 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 these kind of early blue and yellow uniform that they're all in just kind of fades over time. Mm. 
Yeah. I think that, that was that was a well done by the uh, the costume department to kind of slip that in. That kind of you you feel that breakdown almost subconsciously because it's done with the um, the fashion rather than the words and the action. Mm. You mentioned at the very beginning how good Channing Tatum was, and I totally agree with you about that. And one of the reasons he was so good is because he was so committed to this performance, um, mm. and he was so. I mean, he he walked like a wrestler, um, and Mark Ruffalo kind of did as well. But it was it's even more obvious in a big man like Channing Tatum when someone walks like a wrestler, um, and. And I know from reading up about the film that in one of the wrestling scenes between the brothers, Channing Tatum broke Mark Ruffalo's eardrum. He hit him so hard. And when you see Channing Tatum headbutting a mirror in the mm. hotel room after losing, he actually was headbutting a mirror. He actually made a dent in the wall behind a mirror and cut himself in the head. Like he was that committed to the performance. It was that. Was it something? When he leans away afterwards, and you can see that it's all embedded in his forehead. Yeah, it, it certainly went all out. And maybe the the first scene of wrestling, when you see the two brothers wrestling, it starts off so kind of just nice and stretching, and it kind of it does turn very physical very fast. Mm. And you do very much get the vibe that they are properly going for it. Yeah, it, it it moves very quickly, as I said, from stretching through sort of knock about brothers having fun together and like pulling punches and being nice to each other and that lasts for about 10 seconds and then you've really got to fight on your hands and it's mm. actually combat but th- there is that interesting relationship between the two of them all the way through the film that like they're they're brothers and they clearly got each other's back a lot of the time but they're also antagonists between each other quite a lot as well hmm I think I think the film was. I mean, I've liked it. It never at any point kind of played it easy with making things too trite about between the brothers. The brothers aren't friends either, really. Um, you know, or they, these aren't very nice each other if they are friends. No, it was, it, it was. It was. I mean, no. For for example, thinking your brothers, you and your brother, are particularly close. But there are plenty of examples of brothers who love each other but are not friends and it felt yes. it felt like a very natural brotherly relationship mm-hmm. like they obviously had each other's back they obviously loved each other but they were they were quite happy to to not like each other from time to time um so sam as we draw it to a close we always do what would you recommend we we watch uh, mm. following this well my first is incredibly obvious um not you might think it's incredibly obvious because of the subject matter but i think the connection here is one of tone and it's the wrestler and as i said i don't think it's necessarily that this is about wrestling so much as this is a very bleak film a very sort of toned down film very a very gray film it felt felt by both of these films where you you knew from the very beginning of the wrestler just as you said you do from being a fox catcher that something was deeply wrong and something was going to go wrong mm. and my other recommendation is 
Um, well, I would like to recommend Spotlight, although I haven't seen it yet. I would say that go and see Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight because the trailers I've seen of it have him looking particularly good in that. Um, but my recommendation is a film that he was in a few years ago. It's the um, Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle, Shutter Island. Mm. Interesting choice. I, I've i kind of cheated a little bit on my one this week, and I'm recommending a film that we've already covered on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our very early, early episodes. Uh, it's a 2011 film, Warrior. It's about two brothers who fight. Um, it has family dynamics. It has a certainly a violent ending was not be as kind of tragic as this. It's in that kind of genre of sports films that really aren't about sport. Um, and there's one thing we didn't touch on this week is that obviously as a sports film, the, the sport doesn't matter here mm. really beyond being a plot device for something else. Um, so I think that Warrior. I would just basically it was brilliant then it's brilliant now I can only recommend it again right my other recommendation I've also gone down the Ruffalo route and recommended one of his previous works in this case it's a 2001 film The Last Castle Last Castle was vaguely well known at the time but has kind of dropped off um, in, in the sort of 15 years since it's a role for Robert Redford and James Gandolfini they're the two main roles in it uh Robert Redford plays a court-martialed army general sent to military prison and he rallies the inmates against uh, the warden played by Gandolfini um, and Ruffalo is in it um, he is brilliant in it and it's it's an underrated gem of a film you know it, it, it's Robert Redford kind of bet- after his, his peak so it hasn't got quite the, uh, the cash of his earlier work but it's interesting it's Dark but also uplifting. Great. So, The Last Castle. The Last Castle. Great. Um, Rob, what are you recommending that we what, not recommending? What, what are we going to watch? We're picking week? for next week. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I've been only arguing about what to pick for next week. Um, and Sam and I did meet up the weekend and I discussed picking a film to watch. But I think I might save that one for, for later in the year. It's a bit too dark for the start of the year. <laughs> Um, so I think I'm going to go for. Um, when, when, you said, when you said, when you said, I think it might be a bit too dark. I'm not going to pick it. The one I was thinking of that we discussed was Pitch Perfect. Yeah, it wasn't that one. Right. <laughs> it was the other one, the Italian one. Um, they pick. Uh, no, I think I'm going to go for the the 1996 film Scream. Oh, great. Um, yep, yeah, Wes Craven, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Dave Arquette, Kevin Williamson, the rebirth of 90s horror. Let's Brilliant. talk about that. Yeah. Um, do get in touch on Twitter. You can talk to us both at Prestige Podcast. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Or just me at Life underscore Academic. Till then, we will see you next week, guys. See ya. Bye. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr!